Welcome everyone to a another podcast. This has been doing more videos. This is a podcast uh, from Chaos and Comics. Uh, my name is Chris. You can find me at Chaos and Comics on Twitter, on Instagram. You can search Chaos and Comics on YouTube or go to youtube.com slash chaos and comics and find me there. Uh, this is this is this podcast as some people might know is really just my outlet for non-sports uh, talk. So it could be TV or whatever, where the where the channel is very comics focused. Lately, I've been very comics focused, doing previews. Lately, I've not been focused on the podcast at all, to be honest. Recently, I've done a, a few previews podcasts. This is more the long form thing where I, I just want to talk. I might eventually have guests on. I can think of a couple I might want to do for um, this series I'm going to talk about now, uh, Ten of Swords. Uh, but if I don't, I don't. Sometimes it'll just be easier for me to talk into the microphone. So this is just a short series I wanted to do in, in podcast form to see how I like it and, and whether I can stay consistent. Uh, it is a short commitment, and uh, we'll see if I can get, if I get through it. Uh, but obviously, I do like making content. I just uh, don't like being on a schedule, and I would like to start finding myself on a schedule. So this is going to be the Ten of Swords uh, podcast. I'm going to cover Ten of Swords pretty, like in pretty big detail. Uh, I just want to sort of set that up, and it's going to be we're going to go through the issues every week. I want to drop it every Saturday morning so that something's there on Saturday morning in podcast form. It also appears on on YouTube, but I need to see how I want to do that. I don't like to flood my YouTube with the podcast. So I've been doing that. I have to see, but uh, we're going to go through the books that have that are have been released. I also want to do a little bit more research on on what people are saying and, and what kind of theories are out there. Uh, provide links for that and, and just general news about Ten of Swords and X Men. So, just uh, I've said this before on the review shows. And, and it's hard to avoid. Uh, in general, I'm going to avoid being uh, not critical. There's going to be a lot of criticism here, but critical in the sense where uh, everything's in the context on, on whether I like it or whether I don't or whether I think it works or whether I don't. I'm going to try to do something different in that respect. Um, but as I talk about a book, I don't know that you can I can hide, always hide whether I liked it or not. I'm just not going to frame uh, the criticism or the podcast in that way. So let's get started. Uh, Ten of Swords. Oh, one more thing. I'm going to name this Ten of Swords. I'm actually going to write the number Ten of Swords. And that is probably the worst thing I could do as far as searches. Because, uh, but you know what? This podcast is called The Propagandist. I'm telling you, uh, I'm telling you it's the Chaos and Comics podcast later on. Who knows? So I, I, I'm clearly not a, I'm clearly not the best uh, meta uh, meta info guy here. So, uh, I just get to do what I want and I'll just share it on online and whatnot. Anyway, so we're going to just really get into the books now. There's not a ton of news about Ten of Swords. Um, we do have three, what I would call intro books, uh, that I'll talk about today. One is the, the X-Men new comic book day book that came out now almost a month ago. So it's, it's been a while and new comic, it was really a new comic book summer and then Excalibur which has sort of been leading to the Ten of Swords its entire run essentially but we're going to talk about Excalibur number 12 
and X-Men number 12 also. And even though there's been little bits and pieces, even in, in House of X and Powers of 10, about... Uh, about you know what we're leading into for ten of the sword ten of swords. There's been information that's gone through. Um, there's even been uh, the the summoners have even appeared in other X Men issues. But we're just gonna go what I would consider the prelude, uh, even though it's been a big prelude through both these books. So let's start out with uh, the free comic book day special. Now when this came out a month ago, uh. I have to admit, I read it. It looked cool. I'll talk about the art, but man, boy, was I confused. And I don't think that that was on purpose. I think that we were supposed to be well into Ten of Swords already, except, of course, for the the mighty COVID uh, sort of ruined that. But, uh, but it didn't change the... It, since it was free comic book day, it didn't change that schedule, so it had to come out sooner. I, I'd imagine... That book was the free comic day book was supposed to come out in concert with Excalibur 12 uh, and X-Men 12. So I think one of the things that I love most about Ten of Swords is it's it's going to cover Apocalypse. And I think Apocalypse is going to have some real uh, real consequences here. I'm guessing. This is sort of my, my guess. I want to hear what yours is too. Hickman in general... Before this whole Krakoa thing happened, the books were were sort of taking people off of the off the board. Like the whole age of X Men story, I think was to take X Men to take Nate Gray off the board. So Hickman didn't want to deal with him in in the whole Krakoa mess. I think there's a, a similar a similar thing happened with Exterminated. Because Hickman had already been hired, to be honest. Similar ha- thing happened with Exterminated, where they took the uh, the X Men characters that had been floating around for years that were from uh, the original X Men from the original timeline. They brought those X Men from the '60s into this world. For those that don't know, and and they had adventures too, and and they got taken off just before Krakoa and and House of X and Powers of Ten came out. They they got taken off the board. Uh, and a couple other examples of that. So I th- this might be a way, and this is what I'm thinking in the back of my head, this might be a way to end Apocalypse's story within the Hickman universe. And I'm not betting on that yet, but we might be heading there uh, to deal with Apocalypse. He didn't want to just take away everything. But, I mean, he's been Apocalypse has been such a great character in this world, in this co-world, uh, where we can... Where you you can use Apocalypse as the foil even better than Magneto, uh, or the role Magneto has played historically. Use Apocalypse as the foil, as you know he's the in his mind it's a supreme race thing, but they should take over, right? Where Magneto is at that level a little bit different, and and Professor X has actually moved a little bit closer towards them, but not quite. And uh, I don't know that all those things are true yet, but that's that's the feeling here. But now they're all working in concert, living in on Krakoa and on the same council. So, anyway, let's uh, let's talk about the free comic day book. You're going to still be as confused as I am. I want to also say that the Ten of Swords event, uh, I'm 
Cable has a sword too. Um, obviously, Magic has a sword. I don't know if the character Magic, if that's a, a sword that's going to be involved in Ten of Swords. Uh, we will talk about some of the art in this book, and, and we'll we'll get more into detail on that. So what we start out with is when I first read this. By the way, I guess I just didn't get it. But the the woman that is uh, that is doing the tarot cards uh, that is not the White Queen. I thought it was Emma Frost, but now I understand that it's Saturn, which I may be uh, I may be pronouncing wrong. Who is a I think was an antagonist in Excalibur. We'll also find out where I need to go read up on on mutant history and Excalibur history and st- or mutant history in general because obviously there's a lot of stuff. No one can know everything. Uh, a few a few people out there do, but uh, we'll we'll you and I will study it together and research it together. And as stuff comes out, we will we'll talk about it. So when I first read this, you know, a fish face came out and a, a giant minotaur are all coming through a portal. Uh, I was like, what the hell is this? You're going to introduce a bunch of new, uh, a bunch of new characters here and, uh, and great art. Uh, Pepe Larraz had some great art in this new comic book day, uh, issue. I just, you, you were just spending most of your time wondering what the hell was happening. Uh, they're, they're stopping some giant squid monster. By the way, this is not a generic these are not generic tentacles. They're really just drawn beautifully. Uh, just something, ex- it's just fun to, now that there's a little bit of pressure off, like what am I reading? What am I understanding? Am I understanding what's happening? I can almost, uh, I can almost see Pepe Larraz's art even better now. And this would be the third time I'm going through this. And so we see what uh, I think were the enemies are going to be the antagonists in this book. And uh, we see them fight this uh, this monster off, and then go right back through a portal, and then we go right to Opal Luna Saturn. Saturni. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I'm sure. I, I'm sure that's something I should know how to pronounce. I'm going to call it call her Saturn for now, and uh, I'll I'll look that up. And all we do is we find out that uh, she can uh, she can she's. Basically, she's going to be a a tool to look at the future through these tarot cards and be something of a something of an introduction to what's going to happen. Now, I could imagine someone, you know, a kid, me, who's read all the X Men, or someone that hasn't read all the X Men. It's a free comic book day; they pick it up and and just be completely confused. Uh, feel like this is just moving too slow and you, you can't really understand what's going on. So in the sense that this is a an introduction to the story that's coming, it, it probably hurts it a little bit. Uh, I was obviously going to stick with it no matter what. So for me, it gave a little bit of early color to what was going on. But to anyone else, I mean, it. I can I can see how if someone thought that this was just really cumbersome, that, uh, that they wouldn't even finish a, a little five, eight-page story. But what we do get are some some beautiful art, things that should be posters, to be honest, uh, drawn by Pepe Larraz here. Uh, the judgment, finality, and irrevocable change. That's what makes me think that something is something big happens to apocalypse at the end here. Something something that will I hate to say it, 
but change, not the Marvel Universe forever. I'm not going to say this will change the Marvel Universe forever. But something big enough is going to happen to Apocalypse that it's going to affect his story going forward, even long after Hickman's gone. Um, so from here, there is no going back. Surrendering to rebirth is the only path ahead. So a picture of Apocalypse and the summoner that we'll find out uh, in X-Men 12 is, uh, is Apocalypse's grandchild interestingly enough uh next up the four of wands now these are uh these are characters they have a very egyptian feel which matches apocalypse history so at least the influence is the influence of the drawings is egyptian i don't know how tied we are going to get to uh, actual egyptian mythology this doesn't tell <clears throat> doesn't tell us much the labors of community a family coming together for a black ceremony so who knows what who knows what kind of characters these are going to be if they're going to be explicitly antagonists or if they're going to play that role that uh we're seeing in the X-Men a lot uh the gray area the the sometimes antagonists sometimes protagonists uh, let's see it through their eyes kind of thing and then next up the hanged man and this is the closest we're getting to what looks like an X-Men team so this is a, a card with apocalypse also at the center but I see Beast, I see Havoc, I see Glob, uh, I see Archangel, Banshee, Pol- Polaris, um, and I can't remember, that's not Cypher, but uh, a Sacrifice. So Apocalypse, as we're going to find out, is okay with sacrifices. Uh, curious, can any of them be trusted to throw themselves on the pyre of change? How, how <laughs> like I said... Even as someone that's read all these X-Men comics, you know, I'm something at like a hundred House and, you know, uh, Dawn of X or Hickman X-Men Head of X titles. I mean, how could you ever know what was going on here? You just get some, you really have to just respect you're getting some cool pictures here. And this one was, this is probably the most beautiful drawing in the free comic day book. But Saturn says, the Eight of Cups. Uh, disillusionment, abandonment. We have a picture that's uh, half who I now know is Genesis. We'll get into that in one of these other books. And uh, what looked like the bigger, uh, perhaps, we'll see, what looks like might be the bigger antagonist in all of this. Uh, That which was once the harmonious lifting of voices is now a mocking echo, then silence. The Eight of Cups. So uh, Genesis... Apocalypse's wife. That's a, a piece of Apocalypse history I haven't gotten to. I, I really like Apocalypse as a villain. I collect, I, I always grab books with him on the cover, whether he's in it. And um, I have most of the stuff from the 90s, but uh, a lot of the stuff that's happened since, I really don't. I, I don't know that much about uh, Evan Sabanor, his his kid clone. Uh, I, know that, I know that when X-Men got a little bit lighter, it was definitely not completely for me. That's where sort of that kid clone sort of plays in, in my head in that period. So I don't know too much about it. So, um, eight of cups, we'll learn more about that. And then finally the 10 of swords and the 10 of swords is fun is the play on words here, whether you know it's 10 of swords or whether you don't, or whether you want to call it X of swords. Uh, if for those of you that are on YouTube or, or, consume content about comics on YouTube. Professor Bill, uh, Comic Book University, uh, he really wants to call it X of Swords because there's some Krakoan 
in the back that introduces X of Swords and it uses the Krakoan letter for X. But I don't think that Krakoan's using Roman numerals, so it might be the only choice. And I don't remember there being numbers, actually. He said there's a, a numerology and I don't remember there being numbers in Krakoan. But here it's written out. Like the name of this podcast, written out, it says Ten of Swords, T-E-N. I'm going to write the word ten in in my podcast titles. Ten of Swords. And, uh, and here we get... And this is where we might really get to know uh, get to know what's going on or who has swords uh, are the Ten of Swords. And let me see if I can even tell who's in there. You got Cable. So if you're reading Cable's uh, comic book, he's been dealing with a sword. It does not look like the sword that's in his hand. You got Apocalypse, of course, Wolverine. Magic always has a sword. And uh, hers is flaming, so I don't know if it's changed or if it's different. Uh, Captain Britain has a sword, so she's been uh, uh, as big a character as Apocalypse in Excalibur. And then it gets a little harder. We get a few. We get a few silhouettes. One of them is Magneto, uh, and then the people to the exact left and right of Magneto. I cannot tell who has the swords. Um, I feel like the one to the left of Magneto, I should be able to tell, but uh, I, I don't quite get it. And then Storm has a sword. And then someone over here has double swords. And I, I doubt that that's Shatterstar. That's another one that I, sh I feel like I should probably know from the silhouette, um, but I don't. So we'll have to, I'll have to pull that together. <clears throat> and there are officially 10. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So uh, the ten is a play on words using the X. So it definitely is a play on words. Not trying to say that that's not, but uh, but it is ten of swords, guys. It is ten of swords, and the number ten looks like an X, and obviously that's what they're doing there. So uh, very excited. And then there's some Krokoan. I plan to read those. Uh, in fact, I will read this. I will go find out. Uh, what it is because I'm, I'm going to take a pause here that you won't notice in the podcast because I'll edit it together. I probably won't unedit un this because this is raw and in charge, but we'll read this at Krakoan here right in a second. So on the back of the free comic book day, uh, X-Men issue, it says in Krakoan X of swords and then July. Uh, not much to say about that, except that, uh, the Krakoan does use the four dots as the X. In every other context, it's Ten of Swords. Obviously, Powers of Ten, House of X, Ten of Swords, X in Krakoan. It's all a play on words. Uh, it is definitely Ten of Swords. The other thing to point out is that below that, it, it spells out July, which is uh, which is a COVID thing, right? It just got pushed back, and it was already printed, probably. So we are well into September, October for Ten of Swords. It is not July, but... That's fine. That is all understandable. Next up is in our prelude, uh, in our prelude podcast, our Ten of Swords number one podcast that's taking place before Ten of Swords actually starts is Excalibur number 12. Now, Hellions came out and Giant Size X-Men Storm came out the same week, but they, uh, they are exploring a different area of, uh, of the Hickman verse, I'll, I'll say they're not directly related to Ten of Swords. 
Storm, giant size X Men, is looking more into the uh, the machine sentience sort of uh, thread that Hickman started in House of uh, House of X and Powers of Ten, and then Hellions is uh, has more to do with the morality. Uh, the cloning and stuff of, of Madeline Pryor, why not? So not specifically Ten of Swords, at least not yet. So won't really talk about those. But we will talk about uh, the Ten of Swords prelude. It even says prelude on the front. The other two don't say that. Uh, so let's start out. This is Excalibur number 12. Excalibur, I'm going to guess, is probably one of the books, maybe on the lower side of the sales, that I don't think people really loved the... Uh, since Dawn of X came out, it is one of the original uh, launch books after Hawks Pox came out. But uh, it's something I enjoyed. It has Apocalypse in it. I knew Apocalypse was up to something the whole time. I wasn't sure if it was going to tie to some of the Phalanx stuff or some of the, the Machine and Nimrod stuff that we saw in in Hawks Pox or if it, he was just doing his own thing. For Apocalypse, whenever Apocalypse is scheming, that's fun to me. He's one of my favorite characters in comics, let alone in X-Men lore. Uh, what, what this reading this what this tells me is that I, I really need to catch up on some apocalypse uh, lore. I'm, I'm really still stuck in his '90s stuff and his Rise of Apocalypse stuff, uh, which I see some overlap here, but I don't know that much about externals and, and a couple other things. So what we have here is we have Lady uh, Saturn. Like I said, I was going to say on the cover she is playing chess with a bunch of mutants like uh, Jubilee, her son Gambit, Rogue. Uh, very cool. It's a very, very cool cover uh, with Apocalypse appearing to use be using her as a chess piece. Because if you look under under her, she's also on a chessboard. So uh, a lot of uh, some deeper meaning in there, of course. Uh, but I'm sure it's very abstract. I don't see any other chess pieces on Apocalypse's board. We're all chess pieces on Apocalypse's board. So we have the pretty standard characters that we've seen in in Excalibur. We'll see a very different in X-Men coming up. Apocalypse Gambit, Rogue, Richter, Captain Britain, and Saturn. Saturn. So uh, Lady Saturn, who is was doing the was doing the tarot cards in the free X-Men book that we just talked about. Uh, is important here. Apparently hates Cyclops. Teeny Howard is the writer. Marcus Toe is the artist. Uh, Erica uh, Arseniega is the colorist. And Ariana Marr is uh, the letterer. And Tom Moeller is has done most of the, the design in general for this. This is all Tom Moeller's work. Uh, we do see Excalibur in Krakoan here. And then also, and then the number 12 right about of that in, in Krakoan. Uh, so, uh, real quick, through basically the entirety of this Excalibur run, uh, they followed different characters that have been in it, so Captain Brit- uh, Britain is now Betty Braddock, and and they've gone to Otherworld, Gambit and Rogue have been more supporting characters, but have had their time in the sun, Richter has been in it, uh, and then Jubilee and, and her son who's become a dragon, there's been action, there's been... It's been a solid book. It didn't feel like much was going on in the whole X-Men world for it. Unless you noticed what Apocalypse continued to keep or continue to do in the background and always scheming. You know something was coming up. And this seems like the 
the reveal of all his schemes. Now, who knows if it's going to continue uh, and, and what else he's going to do, but uh, essentially what Apocalypse had been doing since uh, X-Men 1 is is being felt right here, and then we'll continue on in, in X-Men 12. It, um, so he gathered the uh, externals here. It's important to note that the Marvel Universe has a number of uh, ancient groups of people that uh, that have been here a long time and have uh, altered the course of history in governments and finance and whatnot. So Inhumans, of course, which we're all trying to forget about, apparently. Uh, the Eternals, which Kieran Gillen is reviving, and a film is coming out soon. And then the Externals, which are similar to all of that, except they are more specifically mutants. Uh, Apocalypse is uh, an external and the externals is a, are, are, is a book that I've seen on the shelves and have seen talked about but haven't read. So don't have a, a huge amount of background on it. But one of the white pages will, uh, will give us some background. So Apocalypse is approaching the externals. And he's doing all the Apocalypse things that Apocalypse does. Uh, talk in code and, and really, just, really just be rude and, and explain the greater good that these externals are are going to add. There's a great line here. Apocalypse has been full, filled with great lines, especially in when Hickman's writing it. I did, he's talking to the externals. I hope that in your wisdom, if I explained the importance of what we do here today, you wouldn't fight back. So you know there's some ominous apocalypse, uh, a death dealing coming up. Uh, so exciting if you're, if you're that person. Then uh, we have a white page that explains the High Lords and the externals. Basically, it explains that they can resurrect... Um, so we're going to get into a, a point where Apocalypse basically tells them that they're not as special now that all mutants can resurrect. And then, uh, there's communion. High Lords are always aware of one another, can communicate across great distance and can come together at will. Um, they have a shared life force. When one external kills another, their ancient energy is dispersed within the remaining externals. Uh, additionally, their life force can be contained within a gem, which has been shown to keep it out of uh, shown to keep it out of the shared energetic loop. So uh, we get into Richter showing up, who's a powerful mutant, uh, at, at least uh, in in attack. He's a, a powerful mutant. And Apocalypse kills a bunch of the Eternals. So this is, it's a podcast, so we're going to talk about art and stuff like that, but I'm not going to describe uh, all the action here. Uh, he, he keeps a couple of them. Um he keeps a couple of them on his side, so he tells Celine Richter, who's not an external and Gideon, to his side, and then they're just going to kill all the other ones, and these guys are going to uh, fight back a little bit. Some very cool art. I, I, I have to say, the only thing I don't love, and that's because I'm comparing it to other people drawing them, uh, done by Marcus Toe here, is, is Apocalypse's design. But everything else is, uh, is very beautiful in this comic. Uh, very comic ish so it's not overly painted or it doesn't have like it doesn't have some of the special stuff that i like too where it's it's like a watercolor or something it's like comic art it looks like comic art and it's just done well uh, and I, I enjoy that so we see apocalypse just basically uh crushing people and then decides to keep absalom who gets his ass kicked uh, and is almost dead decides to keep a absalom around um but he is very depleted uh very very knocked out. And then we get another white page 
We've seen the Grimoire of Apocalypse a few times. Um, Apocalypse has his own letter in the Krakoan alphabet, but it's still pronounced Apocalypse. And this is just basically going to explain, as best I can tell, that uh, all of this external energy is going to a transmuter, uh, a a sorcerer who's probably Apocalypse. I might be getting some of this wrong, but it's just uh, comic book logic. Uh, the rock crystal formation creates empowered external gate, an external gate, there you go, allowing mass other world access at a specific desired location. I think where we're headed with this is that Apocalypse is going to move all of Krakoa to, at least at this point, we think it, what we're reading here is other world. Um, but it's something a little bit bigger than that. Uh, and then we find out, uh, so this is almost feels like a bit of filler, but uh, we're going to get some color to uh, one of the characters that I just said was uh, more supporting in this series, Gambit. But we find out that uh, Kandra wasn't actually there. Her energy was was different. It wasn't the real Kandra. And in earlier issues, uh, Gambit and Rogue have been sort of walking around Saturn's palace, and Gambit stole this rock. And it turns out that that's uh, Kandra in this rock. And Kandra's trying to make deals with Gambit, uh, trying to let Gambit, tell Gambit, you know, that she's safe here and not to give her to Apocalypse. Saturn hates Apocalypse, so this is why she felt safest in her, uh, hidden in her, in, in her castle or fortress or whatever. Um, I think what's interesting is after Saturn and Captain Britain have a talk, about the gate that's being made uh, and uh, and a little picture into the different realities. So Saturn will, if she plays a large part, which it looks like she will, in, uh, in the Ten of Swords, I'll have to do some more back digging. But what I know about this Opal, Saturn, whatever, is that she's actually not from Earth-616. Uh, she really, her story is uh, very much mixed into... Uh, Captain Britain lore, but also the multiverse. And that's all I really know about her. So one of the fun things about uh, this Dawn of X and, and Hickman run is that he he doesn't start over and give a bunch of new stuff. In fact, that's sort of the... Pr- he does give new stuff, that's wrong. But that's sort of the problem with X-Men over the last 40 years, right? They're so big, everyone has their own take on it. None of them... Nobody wants to uh, really deal, in at least in detail, with the history... And all it does is make a bunch of new stuff all the time, you know. And so uh, Hickman and his group, in this case Teeny Howard, are using are using things from uh, smaller storylines that maybe a even a comic book fan like me didn't know or didn't remember or didn't even read or don't even plan to read. Uh, luckily, though, it. For the most part, it's written in a way that you could figure it out. Maybe not all the details, but you can you can get the picture that this person's this antagonist, this person's teaming up with this one, this person's this other antagonist, and really put together the enemy of my enemy stuff. I don't think that you could really do any better unless there were ten white pages that are you know Wikipedia or Marvel Wikia uh, explaining everything. I don't think you need to. I was able to. I was able to figure it out and figure out how to get enjoyment from it. But I would understand if someone is gets a little freaked out by that. Anyway, as best I can tell, there is a... She, uh, Saturn is basically telling Betty Braddock she's not the best Captain Marvel. 
and uh, and then she shows her a bunch of like terrible Captain Marvels that didn't work out in other realities, and that this is important. I've looked at so many realities, Betsy Braddock. This is Saturn talking. Hate wins far too often. So this sort of that fits some of the bigger themes that Hickman had been getting into uh, about mutants just always losing in the end pretty much in in all these different ways. Uh, what is interesting though is if you she says hate wins far too often in in infinite universes there should be a, a infinite number of realities and it should be hate and love those abstract ideas should be somewhat equal. Anyway, that's just their conversation it doesn't really completely fit into the Ten of Swords, except there's characters walking around that'll be in the Ten of Swords. Uh, so finally, Apocalypse is mad. Uh, there is a, a a wonderful statement by... Uh, who is it? Uh, Celine, where uh, he goes, you always, you always expect these... Sac- well, she tricked us, cowardly witch. So he's mad because Kandra decided not to be sacrificed. And Celine, who's on Apocalypse's side... Uh, still found a one of the a little shot out of apocalypse you always expect these sacrifices of others uh, apocalypse never yourself it's a bit transparent so she's referring to the way Kandra sort of figured out that apocalypse is going to try to sacrifice them or had a plan uh, a plan for it uh, apocalypse lets her know that uh, you have not begun to consider what I just lost so he is going to uh, he is going to try to find Kandra. Uh, this is very comic booky. Who knows how it's somehow he can sort of open the gate uh, into Otherworld, into Saturn, just sorta, and able to talk to Captain Britain. It sort of that doesn't make that much sense, but I guess it's comic books, and none of it makes sense. And uh, and then we find out that uh, then Chandra's making her final plea. Basically, tells Gambit who's uh, secretly holding this and Rogue doesn't know or anyone else uh, that Apocalypse wants that gem and so do I. So you either help me or you help him. And Gambit's had trouble with Apocalypse, but for whatever reason, doesn't make any sense. And he also chooses to essentially kill someone. He gives Apocalypse the gem, throws it into the gate, uh, and uh, Apocalypse is able to uh, finish his his little sorcerer magic thing. And now there is mass transit available into Otherworld uh, from Krakoa, which I assume means the entire island of Krakoa and the island that Krakoa had sex with in X-Men 2 uh, that Apocalypse was part of, X-Men issue 2, uh, can now go into the Otherworld. Um, and the narrator says some good stuff here, and this is where we'll finish the uh, the the talk about Excalibur number twelve. To persist past today is to accept an unknown future. But we have learned the value of sacrifice. In that moment, the m- magician of mutant kind spoke a bardic truth. That would be Apocalypse. He would indeed lose more than he had planned for. So this is one of the things that makes me think that. Uh, something big, at least in the context of, of Hickman's storyline, something big will be happening to Apocalypse here. Um, you know, you, you you hope to see him when all the phalanx stuff is happening, but but maybe not. 
So that was Excalibur number 12. Certainly this book has felt like not a necessary read uh, through its 12-issue run, but I would say that at least this one is uh, a comic book fan could read number 12 and, and just understand that Apocalypse is in different ways has been working towards this moment for the entire series. Uh, but the series was still built to be a uh, an action book and and tell Excalibur-like stories about Captain Britain and Otherworld and whatnot, uh, with Apocalypse working in the background and, and having a part in, in some of this and, and other times not. So number 12, I would say, would be the only thing that's not even a required read, but um, something that you can pick up to to get background or to see that how that gate starts. So we have Excalibur number 12. Uh, if you look onto the back, you then get, I've already mentioned them, Giant Size X-Men Storm number one is what's said next to read. And then also released on September 16th is X-Men number 12. Uh, Hellions was scheduled for the 9th, but it did come out the 16th. So we are going to go on to X-Men number 12, but not before we read the Krakoan on the last page. And this one's easy, guys. This is, there's a big E for Excalibur. And then next, which is almost at the back of everyone. N-E-X-T there. And then another X, the the Krakoan letter for X of swords. So 10 of swords, people. There's 10 of them. That was Excalibur number 12. Let's uh, flip open. Well, let's, let's meet these in the middle. But we're going to flip open X-Men number 12 here. And... Uh, one of the better covers I've seen uh, from the X-Men books is the Summoner here. Lenel Yu has done the color uh, has done the cover. And on it we have the mutant that is known as the Summoner uh, that we now know is from a different dimension uh, from the island of uh, Arako that was split uh, from Krakoa and now they're back together. So Oh, one of the things, and I, I posted this on Instagram at the beginning of each X book. As you know, people that are reading it know, they show the characters that are in the book, and I just want to, I just want to say, I absolutely love Jonathan Hickman's bravery in the flagship book, going into their number or their biggest crossover to date, short of Hawks Pox itself, short of the introduction one. Their biggest event uh, in the flagship book, the characters in this, aside from Apocalypse, are Rockslide, Loa, uh, Anole, and the Summoner, who's new. And then, of course, Apocalypse. Those are the characters here. To be honest, um, as we'll see, uh, if they're mutants, there should have been a few more characters in here. But, uh, but those are the X-Men or people... That we've at least Loa people that we've at least heard of, heard of or have been in X books before, uh, and then we have uh, the little data page that is that shows everyone that's uh, doing this book. Jonathan Hickman is the writer. Linnell Francis Yu is the artist. Uh, the recent news that came out is Linnell Francis Yu will be off X Men after uh, after. Powers of Ten, or not Powers of Ten, after uh, Ten of Swords. Uh, Sunny Go is the color artist. Uh, great coloring here, by the way, this time around. And Clayton Cowles, the uh, ever-present Clayton Cowles, does the letterers. And Francis Yu, 
and Sunny Goat were uh, did the covers. So great, great looking cover. So we start out with the summoner uh, playing a game with Rock Slide. The summoner's been sitting at this tree stump on his side of the island for a while since I think like X Men Four or X Men Five, and there are there's a, a little back and forth between them, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a riddle sort of style, or uh, where the summoner's at, talking, acting abstract. It is, but it is a vulnerability if someone knew that. Then they know where and how to strike. But do not fear. We are all allies. Mutants with nothing to hide. That's Apocalypse that actually said that. So Apocalypse comes from out of the leaves. And I think if you read if you read Excalibur 12, which features Apocalypse, and then you went and opened up X-Men number 12, which features Apocalypse also, and you got to page uh, 3 or 4 here, you see Apocalypse coming from the from the brush, from the jungles, and then his close-up face uh, that happens at the bottom of the page here. Uh, the the design and the drawing of Apocalypse in the X-Men book has been uh, incredible. I know Francis Yu, uh, a lot of people really love the work. Uh, I also like it a lot too, but I think it, where it really shines is his, his drawings of Apocalypse. Uh, always menacing, uh, a lot less cartoony than he's drawn or he's uh, typically drawn in the Excalibur book, uh, but then he's supposed to be Hickman's also drawing him menacingly. Where in Excalibur he's a uh, uh, taken more as a little bit more of his, as an action character. Still Apocalypse in both, of course. Uh, but hey, we find out that uh, this is this Summoner, and I don't think we knew this before, but this Summoner is Apocalypse's. Uh, grandchild and we're going to go right into uh, that sort of the prelude the introduction and then we're going to get right into where this book becomes really dense uh it becomes a little it becomes a lot more of a of a narrative so for some people that's harder to read if you're interested in in the whole thing then you, you get through it you learn some i, I was actually still pretty confused i had to do a, a second reading and this will be if you can count this a third reading as I'm going through it here on the, on the podcast. But we find out, <clears throat> uh, we find out, we learn and we review that uh, once upon a time, uh, Arako, Arako and Krakoa were one. It was called Akara. Uh, Arako is uh, Akara backwards. And then in, I think in general, Krakoa. Uh, it's an anagram of Krakoa, even. So, Okara was the island. Uh, we learn through drawings and narrative that they were split by the Twilight Sword. And it opened up a chasm, and there's great enemies came. And then Apocalypse closed up the uh, the link between, or at least in the dimensions, that each of them were. And the summoner says... After all, you were Apocalypse, the warrior god in blue, the great receder, the first mutant of the second generation of mutantdom on Earth. But there, are, some say that you stayed behind to pre- prevent uh, that world from falling, to seal the breach and saved what, save what could be saved. 
But there are others who tell stories of betrayal, of sacrificing your family to preserve yourself and what little could be saved. So there's even a question of what Apocalypse did uh, during that war, during this uh, battle that predated the ancient times. Uh, and so they go into this other world that is what waited for them was not an army. No, for some it meant madness. The rest of it was a wasteland of a world called Amenth. And then you get into uh, a sort of generational story of the mutants protecting themselves, having ten towers, generations of mutants lived and died, never knowing defeat. And uh, we find out that the summoner is 300 years old from here. Then Genesis, the authority of Araco, and the wife of Apocalypse, the granddaughter or the grandmother of the summoner here, is introduced into this comic. And she raises an army, and they're gone for 20 years, and they would fight uh, and win conquests and keep the demon the demons out. And then we meet who appears is going to be one of the main antagonists, uh, the white sword of purity. Uh, he was immortal and external. He would, he would leave his ivory tower and slaughter a menthi demons. This is probably, those are probably going to be the foot soldiers that we're going to see fight in any giant battles. It'll be a menthi demons being torn up. Uh, and, and he would war or he would war until the last soldier in his army died only to begin again the next day. Uh, this, cycle of living and dying became a religion and it made uh it made and we mutants of Araco were the same to him so she said he had become as alien as the horde he raged against so he became his own his his own religion essentially and an antagonist Probably going to be an antagonist because he sees himself differently. He's an external, at least in this dimension. And uh, he defeated him. And then Genesis heads home after being defeated uh, by the White Sword of Purity. And this is an area where it gets really dense. Like a, a ton of story is told in in three in a on a three panel page. They returned to Genesis returned to find more defeat. Iska the traitor, Iska the unbeaten. Her mutant power was that she could not lose, and uh, she had to become a traitor and go with the Amenthi demons because they were clearly going to win, and she cannot lose. And Genesis was going to talk to a new character called Annihilation, not related to the Annihilation saga I'm reading on Marvel Unlimited, the god of Amenth at the seat of the Golden Helm's power in the capital city of Amenth. Uh, so eventually she goes there. Uh, they battle uh, with the fate of Araco in the balance. And uh, Genesis lost. And I think this is going to be a second. Uh, Annihilation is going to be a... Can't, Annihilation doesn't die here. So Annihilation, the god of the Amenthi, is probably going to be a second antagonist and Genesis loses and there's no hope for Araco. And then the mutants of Araco basically get their asses kicked. There is, uh, uh, Francis, you, you decides your, or 
draws a uh, a bunch of large landscapes with uh, random unnamed uh, mutants and, and people battling explosions, things like that. And then the summoner explains uh, that uh, he needed he was sent out to go find you with the hope that uh, apocalypse had gathered some kind of army up to this point. So only Apocalypse can save the day. We get a we get a Hickman data page, Summoners of the Amenth. We find out the different kinds of Summoners that there are. Summoner Minor, Summoner Adept, and a High Summoner. Uh, this Summoner that we are looking at here is a Summoner Minor, it looks like. Well, no, that's a Summoner. That's a High Summoner. Uh, they give a, a few of their powers. Uh, this summoner that we're talking about here is able to summon a horde of elementals and up to three major demons. So just get some background on that. And then we pop over to Apocalypse telling the summoner that they're ready to go, uh, that the full force of Krakoa is with them. We're going to send uh, Banshee and... I can't... I forget who that was. Um, oh, oh, Eunice, who I don't know anything about. Uh, going to send through Otherworld, and Otherworld is connected to Amenth. It's interesting that the summoner here is High Summoner of Amenth. I guess that's the dimension is Amenth, and the demons there are are who the this uh, ancient mutant uh, offshoot race is fighting. And it just starts out, and then it just ends um, less ominous than Excalibur ended, where... The summoner is basically saying that uh, uh, I will greet you in the manner befitting not just a hero Krakoa, but as the father and true heir of Arako. Uh, you have my word, grandfather. This I promise. So just set it up, set it up for the war to start, essentially. And that entire really dense history of the mutants in Amenth and uh, the the mutants that were on Arako the island that was once connected to Krakoa and called uh, Oraka. Oh, man. Not, there's an Arako, and there's a... Where'd you go? I've already forgot it. Okara. And to be honest, in X-Men 2, where the island, where Apocalypse found the island and, and matched it up to Krakoa, uh, I don't really understand how that island came back. I don't, I don't remember that being explained. So that's something we'll look up or, or hopefully gets reviewed eventually. But, man, that was a dense book. It's one of those things where if you haven't, you know, I said, okay, you, you can start with Excalibur. And I think most comic readers are smart enough to figure out what's going on. Uh, even though the previous 11 issues had something to do with it. They were an action book. They were focusing on other characters and whatnot. Apocalypse is working in the background. Uh, but you could figure it out, and you got what you needed out of Excalibur number 12. Now, that's the same thing with X-Men number 12, but it is a, it's a pretty dense story. You're going to want to be okay with getting a fake history lesson, you know, a fictional history lesson of a, of a race of people outside of, uh, outside of our dimension. Uh, so that's the setup. We finally know some basics about X of Swords or Ten of Swords, that it's a an apocalypse-focused series. It looks like apocalypse is going to be the, be the main driver uh, of the main uh, thread of the plot. 
I have no idea how this is going to mix in with the individual books. They do, I think it gets up to part 22, and all of these books do have their own part number on them. So you're going to get Excalibur number 13 is probably going to be like part 4, and then X-Force number 13 is going to be part 5. So you got to you got to be okay with that. <laughs> you got to not be annoyed by that. That's a sort of the 90s style crossover that they did with say Maximum Carnage or Fatal Attractions or Executioner Song that went across all the books in the office and uh, would make you have to buy Web of Spider-Man or X-Force along with X-Men along with Excalibur and uh, you know touch almost every book. So that's going to happen here. Uh, I don't know if they're going to each have their own side stories with the characters that we're used to seeing in them. Um, the solicits have been very vague, which I like. So that's something that's going to be uh, a treat to find out, something new that uh, we'll, we'll be able to talk about here on the podcast. And generally what this podcast will do is I will just do a podcast of, of the news, maybe some interesting theories I see in the wild, uh, not only written by comic book media, but also just talked about on Twitter and stuff. I'll make sure I credit the, the tweeter and whatnot, or maybe Reddit or wherever else I go. So that's, that's my plan is to, is to touch up there, give thoughts on some of the theories, uh, on some of the reaction, uh, be honest with whether, uh, maybe more on the, the business political side, whether this was a good idea at all to do, because obviously that's tough. A lot of people, a lot of people have given up on these X-Men books because so many come out. And supposedly you were able, you were only able, you were able to only pick your two or three that you really wanted. But this Ten of Swords series implies that that's not the case. That if you really want to be into Ten of Swords, you gotta, you gotta buy them all. Now I'm going to, I'm gonna explain stuff to you. So you, you don't have to buy them all if you're listening to this podcast. But, uh, we'll talk about that too. And then of course, uh, the plot, the art, uh, the style of the still, the style of the storytelling and, uh, get in depth on maybe hopefully some of the history of the characters that are, are driving the plot and any callbacks that might be happening as, as the, the Hickman X-Men verse has been doing. They haven't just been doing the new thing, uh, exclusively. Anyway, that is all I have for this, uh, intro version or this first episode of the Ten of Swords podcast. Uh, I'm excited for it. It's something I've been waiting for for a while. Uh, you know, I, I knew that there was a big crossover coming out and the pandemic happened. It got pushed back. I'm just curious to see how it all pans out. Anyway, at Chaos, on, at Chaos and Comics on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me at Chris Sarda on Twitter. And most of the comic book content I do is on YouTube. So you could just search chaos and comics there or go to youtube.com slash chaos and comics. Thank you guys for listening.